Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Sci, a podcast about black science fiction, fantasy, and staying on the same page in this marriage relationship with my little boot cakes. I'm one of your incredible co-hosts, Amber Wallen. And I'm Ben. And this is episode 30, 30 weeks, y'all, of the Sci-Fi Sci podcast. This week we watched, <laughs> I'm laughing, but you'll see why later, we watched the film Men in Black International, directed by F. Gary Gray. Um, before we talk about this uh, production, if you will, we do have a brief announcement. I said this on Instagram, but if you don't stalk me on Instagram, what are you doing with your life? No big deal. If you don't stalk me on Instagram, we did announce that we are now one of the 500 podcasts that have joined the Believe Podcast Network. We are super excited. I know I'm excited to get all this new technology and resources, so you are going to get cleaner, more crisp episodes, and I cannot wait. Before we start talking about the movie as well, I just want to start to give y'all a little bit of love and shout y'all out at the top of the episode. Won't that be nice, Ben? Yes, of course. Don't you love when I show you ratings when we're eating dinner that, about what people have said about us? I would prefer not to look at anything when I'm eating dinner. I like to just have it between us. But I understand you like to have your phone out in all forms of social interaction. So... Oh, so you're okay. So we're we're gonna have that kind of episode. Great. I think it's great that we are getting reviews. And Amber came to me with this amazing review. And please, if you like the show, please review us. We just have very low self esteem. So when you write nice <laughs> things about us, it really helps us. Uh, no, in all seriousness, it is incredibly encouraging. This is definitely a labor of love, and it's awesome to hear that we're connecting with people. So please, please rate our podcast. It does mean a lot to us. Here's one. Instagram review I got as somebody slid in my DMs and they said, hey, Amber, first I want to say my partner and I have thoroughly enjoyed your TikTok and Instagram videos of you and Ben. We are presently on a road trip and have listened to your podcast and we love your content. We have found so much enjoyment from both of you because I am white and grew up in a Pentecostal home and my partner is black and enjoys sci-fi and fantasy. I also love seeing Ben center blackness in your home. So I just wanted to reach out and say how much we appreciate what you're contributing to the world. Their partner's name wanted you to know that based on your review, she is going to read the rest of the Binti trilogy. Take care. Yes, y'all. So listen to those old episodes get your summer reading list together and keep watching these movies and you might change your mind about the one we're going to talk about today but yeah before we get started into the episode watching men in black international we do want to give one big blanket spoiler alert we have a bad habit of like giving a spoiler alert 30 minutes into the episode but there will be spoilers yeah so ben why don't you take it away and tell us a little bit about the movie and we're gonna get into it f gary scott nope That is not his name. <laughs> are you are you thinking of F. Scott Fitzgerald? Ben? F. Scott Fitzgerald, who wrote The Great Gatsby, but did not direct MIB International. F. Gary Gray, who has done gr- such classics such as Set It Off, Friday, and Straight Out of Compton. Three hits. Three, Three hits. hits. And we've watched all those movies together. We loved them. So knowing that he directed MIB International definitely made me very excited. Also seeing uh, the box office for this uh, it went over 100% of what it cost to make it. So it cost $110 million to make, and it made $253.9 million. Well, that set the bar really high because do you remember how excited you were when I... So Ben and I in our home, to give y'all some background, we have nights where like I force him to watch black movies. You know, I 
handcuff him to the bed and I tape his eyes open and I force him to watch these movies um, because they're incredible. And if he's going to be committed to me, this is what he signed up to be with, a black queen. We got to watch these movies. So anyway, one Wait, time... Wait, is it I have to watch the movies or be uh, handcuffed to the bed with taped over my eyes? Which one is it? It's both. Both. Okay. I force you. I don't remember that in our vows. It's in there. Go back and look at them. Okay. I forced Ben to watch incredible uh, black treasures and movies, and one of them was Set It Off. So Ben saw Set It Off maybe nine to ten months ago, and it was one of my favorite movies growing up. It was, like, occasionally on BET for, like, a, a movie cycle or whatever, and Ben really liked Set It Off. You remember how, like, excited you were with Set It Off? It was, like, four black women just, like, robbing a motherfucking bank. It was very funny. I did not expect it to be as funny as it was because you told me it was like a heist movie Mm -hmm. and that it was sort of sad as well. But it was absolutely hilarious. I thought it was so funny. And that's exactly what F. Gary Gray does. What did you think was funny, Ben? Cleo getting completely like firing squatted to death at the end of the movie? No, that was... Or maybe it was Jada Pinkett Smith's brother dying. Which part was funny to you? No, absolutely not. Or maybe it was... (laughs) Well, that's ha- those are all the sad parts, but there are some great funny parts. For example, when they originally go rob the bank, uh, I think it's Queen Latifah decides to just bust on in, but she does it before everybody is ready and has their caps on. And it's just really campy and fun. And yes, there's a sobriety to it where a, a young boy is you know shot and killed by the police. That's like, incredibly sad, but there's this balance of hilarity and fun and these four women just being together and loving each other and also having conflict at times as well. But I was definitely taken aback how funny it was. And that sort of mixed with MIB, which is like a, it's a buddy cop type of comedy type of uh, series. That's what MIB is. I really expected, you know, F. Gary Gray to set it off. (laughs) And <laughs> MIB International. Also Friday, right? Friday is a buddy movie. Yeah. Super funny. He does comedy. He knows comedy. And MIB is is action comedy. It and is. I listened to an interview with him. He said, I was really excited. This meets exactly what I like to do as a director. And so this was like way before production. You watched this. I watched this interview during production. It was on set interview. So they do on set interviews, mm-hmm. which are some of the best interviews because you're not seeing this person's response to the audience's response. You're seeing his response to how things have been going so far. And in this interview, he's very excited to introduce this new character, Molly, Agent M. And it sounds as if he had all these plans to show her growth as a child up into her, you know, entry into the MIB. So I I had, you know, some pretty high expectations for this movie when I remember it coming out three years ago. Also Thor Ragnarok as well, which you slept through. But I did. I fell asleep on Thor Ragnarok. But I just, I feel so bad for F. Gary Gray. We'll get into a little bit later why. Because you know what that is like sometimes? That's like you being in a relationship and someone's asking you how it's going. And then there's footage of you saying, like, I'm so happy. Like, we're we're together and we're vibing. And then, you know, a year later, people are like, you remember when you were dating that guy? And I'm like, oh, my God, what the fuck was I thinking? Why didn't y'all say anything? And your friends are like, I mean, what were we supposed to say? Like, we tried to give you signs that this wasn't working, but you were just head in the clouds. Like, have you ever experienced anything like that, Ben? (laughs) Sure. But 
I that is a great connection because let's we can get into some of the tea to that some some of the background. Let, let's just start right away. You know what? Let's let's sip while we get into the tea because yeah. we're about to have a real deal for real talk. I'm about to crack open this beer. By the way, I'm drinking it's Tropicalia, and I think it's a purposeful beer. I don't like to drink unless it has true purpose behind it. Oh yeah. Yeah. A lot of purpose going on in our house. A lot then. of yeah. purpose has been going on for the past <laughs> year. So this is Tropicalia beer uh, from Creature Comforts. And if you've ever seen Avengers Endgame, when Thor is sort of going through it, when he's going through the COVID slump that many of us have, have gone through and he's drinking lots of beer, he is drinking Tropicalia in one of the scenes. But you can only get this beer in Amber's hometown, Athens and Atlanta and now L.A. Yep. Surprisingly. I, th- I actually think that's it. You can just get it in Georgia and L.A., I think. So, yeah, yeah so cheers to this. Cheers. I'm drinking Thor's beer. What are you drinking? I'm drinking some sort of, like, twang. It's tropically tart wheat ale. So it's, like, guava um, from Spiteful Brewing because, you know, we like to shop local brewers with the exception of, you know, my hometown brewer. Well, yeah, that's local still. We bought we it local and then drove it up. Yes, we did. So if you're if you're at home listening to this, open you a little something, something to sip on. Like, pause here, open something. Even if it's not alcoholic, get your LaCroix and then come back on. Now talk to us about this movie. Woo. Woo. All right. So this movie, just a, a very brief summary. Then mm-hmm. we'll get into first impressions. So Agent M, a.k.a. Molly, as a child meets this really, really cute alien. Very cute. Very almost like a, like a Stitch. Mm-hmm. Almost looks exactly like Stitch. As, so she meets him as a kid and uh, ends up interacting with some MIB agents. Her parents get neuralized. She somehow does not. So she spends the rest of her life looking for the MIB. And she finally discovers them and she convinces them to let her join them, even though they are a recruit only. They're, they don't take job applications. So she ends up becoming part of MIB. So now she's this rookie cop. And she teams up with the always wonderful, you know, sexy. Very sexy. Oh, my gosh. Chris Hemsworth, mm, Agent H, who is known for having to defeated the Hive. And that's sort of his thing. And earlier in the movie, we see him, you know, shoot up the Hive and save the world. Sort of a standard MIB. And so they team up together to fight off the Les Twins, this group of alien twins who seem to be unkillable. And that's sort of the general plot of the movie, which we'll talk about. But what were some of your first impressions? Uh, Okay, so Ben and I did go back and watch the original Man in Black. I had seen that movie, you know, several times. I was part of the, like, back in the day when, like, Burger King would give toys and stuff. Like, definitely Men in Black was, like, some of the... The, the kid merch that they gave. So I've been a longtime fan of, like, the Tommy Lee Jones, Will Smith gang. Uh, loved I loved MIB 1, 2, and 3. You know, those, those duos really work well when it's, like, one, like, straight man that takes things very seriously and then the comedic relief, a la Rush Hour and other movies that are just, like, super funny. The Heat. The Heat. Which is one of your favorite movies, Is right? one of my favorite movies. Do I like cops or whatever? Absolutely the fuck not. But Sandy Bullock and Melissa McCarthy at, in The Heat is, I have a, a photo in my house that has been framed of me and my best friend as those two characters from The Heat. So I love these kind of movies. You're on Sandy terms with Sandra Bullock? 
Yeah, we're friends. You didn't know? You call her Sandy? That's Sandy B. actually really adorable. Does she go by Sandy? I didn't know that. Well, I'm sure she doesn't let her friends call her Sandra. So, no, I'm her friend, so I call her Sandy B. Okay, we're way off topic. But basically, MIB is a buddy cop movie, and there's a whole genre of it. Mm-hmm. Sorry to interrupt you. So, you love MIB. You had Burger love the King franchise. toys. Yep, longtime fan. Could sing, we are the man in black. Wait, hold up. Did you Something get to see... I'll drop a clip of that in there, so long-time fans know. Did you see it as a six-year-old? Oh, absolutely. Your parents? Oh, my gosh. My, I had to wait until I was, like, I think 11 or 12 to see it. I don't know if I saw the first one in theaters, but I definitely saw the second one in theaters. Okay. But, hell, I mean, and those, the even the, the quotes, like, I make this look good. N-Y-P-D, which means I will knock your punk ass down. Like, we would say that shit around the house all the fucking which, time. That line hits very differently now. Yeah. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Yeah, that actually is very intriguing that Will Smith played that line for laughs. I say all of that to say the joy and nostalgia and excitement going into this film, I lobbed it in there for them. Like, you, you kind of had the goods. Y'all had gotten this right three times already. And... It was so freaking bad. Like, it was not a sequel. It was not, like, Ben and I read this article about, like, what the difference between, like, actual sequels and then what this movie tried to do. And so this article called it, like, a step sequel. I don't even want to call it that because that would imply that some people's stepchildren are not, like, their children, but they're in the family. Like, no, this was, like, a fucking neighbor around the corner that you do not fuck with. It was... Two new actors. Who never cut their grass. Who had never cut their grass, and they're wearing a suit on the top and shorts and boxers on the bottom, and it was not good. And, and, and that was also, your first impression, like right, off, impression, right away. You're like, this movie sucks. And you know what else was incredibly bad? Like, if I had to really pick a hill, I had to die on. The CGI was just an insult. Like, I... I recognize that there's new technology and there's new, we got all of our new apps. Like this is a new generation, but I missed the 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 lively factor of those puppets in the original. Like I remember that baby squid that Will Smith helped deliver in the first movie, and all of the CGI in this film was just so bad. It I could not suspend uh, belief, you know, it, or suspend disbelief. What's the saying? Yeah, it's just you couldn't suspend. Belief. belief. Yeah. Right. I couldn't do it. You couldn't suspend your belief, your disbelief. You couldn't suspend your disbelief. Right. Right. Ugh. There we go. What were your thoughts, baby? Well, baby boy. The first one, MIB did win like best makeup effects mm. for the Academy Awards. I remember my first impression, though, being pretty excited. Like they go to the Eiffel Tower. So I was excited to see that this movie is going to be inclusive. It was going to be an international film. And that's what sort of these big box office films are doing is they're taking in actors from like different popular uh, streams. So whether it's, you know, Indian films, they'll you know, bring mm-hmm. in like a really famous actor or Korean films, they'll bring in a really famous actor and sort of introduce that person's skills to the American public. So I was excited to see that. Uh, I was very excited to see this little girl, Molly, falling to sleep holding the Stephen Hawking's book, you know, in the beginning mm-hmm. of the movie. I was like, yes, like, you know, as far as like young uh, woman scientists, there's not a whole lot, even yet less, uh, you know, young black women scientists. I think I can name 
one black woman scientist, right? Sort of a pop culture scientist. I can name one. Uh, And that... Who? Mae Jemison, the astronaut. Mm. And she does Starship 100. I think what Starship 100 about getting people, you know, on a Starship. I was about to say, say her name. Yeah, Mae Jemison, huge fan. And so I was excited for that. I thought this, you know, was going to have some potential. Even at the beginning of the film, you sort of see almost like a slapstick type of comedy, like the uh, Molly's father grabs a <laughs> grabs a, a golf club because you know he thinks that someone's going to be like robbing their house and in a very like smoky from Friday. Exactly. So I really felt like F. Gary Gray was going to bring some of that goofy camp and. It just went down from there. Mm, like, mm-hmm. it was really weird. You know, very quickly you discover that there are some weird rush slash cut scenes. It felt like a really badly, you know, edited TikTok video. And Ben's been knowing about... Ben edits, like, all of our TikTok videos, if you're here because you listen to us and follow us on TikTok. Ben edits all of those videos. Like, he's... And, well, I'll say I taught him how tos, but he's actually gotten better at editing those videos than me. And so I think now you're just like hyper aware of cuts and transitions and things like that. And Ben was watching it being like, what? that was such a bad segue. Like, what's going on with these transitions? Like immediately something was off. And you know what else was just so fucking annoying? Am I, well, we're going to get into some themes and stuff, but MIB was the whitest. It, it looks like, the the men who worked at Google, like it was so white. It was white male, except for Tessa Thompson and Emma Thompson. Her name's Emma Thompson, right? Mm. I always get those like Stone, Watson, Thompson, um, which is crazy because we went back and watched the original Men in Black and Men in Black was actually pretty diverse. Like obviously Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones were there, but there were some other like black men in MIB at the time, and then at the end of the first MIB movie, a woman had joined. So why are we roughly 20 years later working at the floor of freaking Apple? It, it was like, you remember at one point I was like, Ben, let's count or take a sip every time we see a person of color at Men in Black, even though we're 20 years in the future. How is it not more diverse by now? It was infuriating. All right, Ben, let's get into some themes. Ugh. All right, so they introduce a new alien called the Hive, and they introduce this alien very, very quickly. Don't really give any reference to how it got there. It goes through some wormhole through the Eiffel Tower. It turns out the Eiffel Tower, sort of like the New York City Fairgrounds, is also a portal to interdimensional alien travel. And 20 years ago... In the first MIB, they showed that, you know, that very scary bug. And they showed that UFO crash land on Earth. Like, so it was just frustrating in this version that the villain just, like, appears out of literal thin air. Yeah. So we're introduced to the Hive, and it turns out that the Hive takes over planets and... They have returned, even though they thought they were defeated, uh, that Chris Hemsworth's character, even though it was thought that Agent H had defeated the Hive with the help of his mentor, uh, Agent High T, played by Liam Neeson, it was thought that they had destroyed the Hive. Turns out the Hive has returned and has taken over the Les Twins. Okay, can I, can I stop you? Yeah. I'm going to keep this in the, in the thing because I want to say this because I used to do this. So... 
lay in French means the, right? So when you say the less twins, you're saying like the, the twins. Does that make sense? It does, but because that is their name. We'll just call them lay twins. Lay twins. Like lay Miz. Am I doing too much? No, you're fine. I mean, you're just, you know, you're getting pretty drunk off of that one Tropicalia, so I had to check you. I mean, this Tropicalia has Thor head over heels, so if it's good enough Did for it? Thor. Did it? Because I thought he was drinking it on his downfall. It was, but, I mean, it kept him drunk. Okay. Anyway, talk to anyway, me about late so, twins. Well, here's the thing about Hive Mind. Hive Mind is like a very standard sci-fi theme. It's is this, it? Yeah, it's like, um, it, if you've ever played the game Halo, the Hive you know, takes over multiple people, sort of like a hive, right? So there's this one thinking person and takes over everybody. Borg. Borg in Star Trek, hive mind. Okay. And I really like that idea, but nothing is new to it at all. You like, talked about that last episode or two. You're just like, we've seen it all. Yeah. So what are y'all bringing yeah, to Yeah, what table? are you bringing to it? So I did like the fact that these amazing dancers are brought into the mix. And F. Gary Gray was the one who brought them onto the set. And so they bring this very, like, cool vibe to them. I mean, they're just amazing dancers. They're Beyonce's dancers. They're, they're be, they are Beyonce's dancers, and they play really great freaking aliens. And they're so recognizable, too. I remember when the it, when it first occurred, you only see one of them. And I was like, is that my twin? But I But it's just one, so it can't be. And then you saw the other one, you're like, oh, yeah. But you got over the novelty of that so quickly. You're like, oh, but if they're not going to be here for, like, actual substance, like, what's the point? The other theme that I really enjoyed is that Molly, as a child, has this understanding that there is more out there. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of a theme throughout MIB. At the end of the first film, uh, it turns out that all galaxies are, like, little pebbles that are being scooped up by this, like, weird... Lovecraftian tentacle monster. And then at the end of the second movie, it turns out that the world is just inside of a little locker. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that? And yeah. so he's playing with that theme a little bit. And so Tessa Thompson's character believes that, but her entrance into MIBs take it like happens within 20 minutes. Yep. There's really nothing to it. It's very boring. And I feel like they could have done more with that. This idea of like, there's more out there. I want more for myself. I and hate that. I'm I'm in a I'm in a yoga training right now and everything that we're doing is about the process of not the road to enlightenment but just like slowly using the yoga day by day to figure out the core and the essence of who you are. And so it would be comparable to like you know this is a 300 hour program and, and in the first 2 hours we learned who we are. It's like so why stay in it? So we we didn't really get to see Tessa Thompson's climb and fight to join MIB. Like, she found out who they were, and, I mean, I've gone through harsher interview processes for jobs than she did to be, like, an intergalactic motherfucking agent. <laughs> Don't you agree? It was harder to be in Cheech for fucking America than it was to be in MIB International. Will Smith, remember how Will Smith had to take that little written test, and then he had to do a shooting range test, and he shot that little girl Sally in the eye, and, and then, you know... He got the job, and all of those other guys got neuralized. But Tessa Thompson, what? What did she do? And I'm all for her getting the job, but, like, we want to see the road. I want to see her as a little kid collecting things around the city slowly and working her way up to this, like, huge artifact. And now it's finally here. But it was just like, oh, you want a job at Men in Black? We got you. Come on in. 
The fuck? Oh, you're black and a woman? Come on in. Come That's, on in. That, that is, it's shitting on black women. Yeah, it's it, like it, it y'all almost, have a journey, an easy journey too. It's like no, the fuck we yeah, don't. Yeah, that's. I feel like they were playing into this stereotype that, oh, because you hit that diversity check mark, then we hire you automatically. Which, and this movie seems to show that, and in actuality, like that's not the fucking case. So it's not the fucking case, and they doubled down on that when they showed a very white MIB. Ugh. Tessa Thompson was a diversity hire at MIB. She was. That's fucked up. I didn't even think about that until you started talking. Shit. It's like what? It's like men in black experiencing some budget cuts or some shit. Like I don't understand how she could just waltz up in there with no real story, no real drive. All right, let's talk about the theme of immigration. In the first Men in Black, there is this really incredible scene where Border Patrol stops a van full of Mexican immigrants. And that is when we're introduced to Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones comes in and just mocks the shit out of border control, being like, oh, you're really protecting our borders. And it's literally like young people and mothers and daughters trying to find a job. The immigrants, not the patrols. Yeah, yeah, the immigrants, right? And... The Border Patrol is sort of made to be these, like, fucking idiots, these nasty, racist, awful people. This is in the first movie, made in 1997. Yep. This movie comes out in 2019. Period. And this is where F. Gary Gray wanted to actually turn this movie into about immigration, right? When we have this Muslim ban, where we have a president in this year who is entirely awful, Right. And this movie had plans to be edgier and to confront immigration head on. And they do nothing with it. They go nowhere with it. And the part of the reason is that F. Gary Gray had those plans, but the executives came in and decided to make it more palatable for a wider audience. For fuck's sake. Like, well, let's let's name drop. Because we've read a couple articles and we will attach them in the description box. There is a white male producer. His name is Walter Parks. And he and F. Gary Gray, the, the black director, just what from from the looks of the articles came to fisticuffs all of the time. Like, you know, metaphorical fisticuffs. And they were, you know, clashing on their ideas. And this article that I read said Walter Parks was just sabotaging the whole project and delivering different drafts of the script up like every other day with just his ideas. And one person who worked on that set described Walter Parks as both the arsonist and the fireman. This big like Hollywood executive has worked on a lot of projects, but I think he, you know... F. Gary Gray said, like, I want this to be about immigration. This movie has to mean something. It can't just be another sequel. And this dude was just like, no, we're going to do it my way. And what you saw on the screen, what we saw, don't even go see it. What we saw was a house divided, and it showed. And F. Gary Gray has tackled social issues head on. Like, he was capable of making a movie that dealt with immigration. He had the background to do it. It turned out that I believe Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth ended up hiring their own dialogue writers because they were being delivered new dialogue day of the shoot. Day of the shoot. And so it just, it made me really sad. Of course, the article at the end, The Hollywood Reporter also published something from the executive saying that this article was not entirely factual, blah, blah, blah. 
I believe the article. Me too. Y'all, y'all can read it and tell us. Because we saw the movie and, and damn. Tell us what you think. And it just did not make sense to me for this movie to be that bad. Because I've seen Thor Ragnarok. I'm drinking Thor's beer right now. Tessa I mean, Thompson. I fell asleep with Thor Ragnarok. Well, but... uh, Tessa, let's just say you need to watch it again. Also, you hadn't watched all the different you know, Avenger films, so I get that. But Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth in that film where Tessa Thompson plays like this very straight, hardcore, like no-nonsense character and Thor is acting like a child. And their dynamic is actually really fun and it's funny and it's great to watch. And they really had no dynamic here. Yeah, right. I mean, this. I mean, I know those two people can act. I know Liam Neeson can act. Like, when, when you got an all-star cast, even um, Kumail Nanjani was the voice actor of this little cute character named Pani, very heavily CGI, but you can instantly tell that that was Kumail's voice. He was really strong in it, but I mean, I can only do so much. Like, goddamn, the, the script was just bad. The story was just bad. Even some of the aliens that came up, like in the first MIB, aliens are either in their full alien form or they're in their uh, like alien garb, I would say. Like, even when I watch like Star Wars or something, occasionally with you, aliens have their own like what that alien race wears so it was really frustrating to see this one alien like named Vungus completely dressed like a college bro just at the club in the way that we could have got a great immigration story dialogue and message with this movie that was the complete opposite way it was like complete assimilation like why the fuck is this alien wearing bonobos trash it was awful all right let's talk a little bit about the characters. So Agent H and Agent M are paired together to discover the hive and sort of leads them around the world and at times they're sort of bickering and arguing like little children. That was obnoxious. Very. And basically as they're, you know, looking for the looking for this certain kind of weapon that can defeat the hive, they're looking for this weapon. I guess. I don't remember. And they end up finding the weapon and it turns out you know, lo and behold, that MIB, the actual institution, has been compromised. Turns out the Hive has already taken over Agent High T, who's the main agent in <laughs> London. Oh my goodness. Oh no. What? Oh no. So then they have to defeat Agent High T. Uh, ben, you caught this in the first. 30 seconds of the movie? Yeah, basically, <laughs> they cut this scene at the beginning of the movie where Agent. H, played by Chris Hemsworth, and Agent High T, played by Liam Neeson, they are fighting off the Hive for the first time, and it cuts off, and it turns out that the Hive had already infected Agent High T, and I guess had affected Agent H a little bit. Anyway, they end up having to fight Agent High T, and who is the mentor, Chris Hemsworth, and Chris Hemsworth has to like shoot and kill Liam Neeson, and that is the end of the movie. Thank you, God. Oh, and the worst of the worst of the worst. After a super shitty movie, it looks like at the end, Chris Hemsworth gives Tessa Thompson the eye. It's like, this was already bad. Please do not subject us to a possible love story. Spare us. Just off me now if y'all are going to make me watch these two fall in love after fighting together because how many fucking times have we seen that? Like, what the fuck is this, Mr. and Mrs. Smith? Chris Hemsworth. That movie was way better. Chris Hemsworth was actually quite incompetent 
in this oh. movie. He did not know anything. He has an ex who turns out to be this like famous arms dealer. Her name is Riza, and they sort of have a thing, and we're supposed to care who Riza is. We don't. But we don't. But Riza Riza has a bodyguard <laughs> who turns out to be the grown-up alien that Molly saved when she was a little kid. So. Even though these were in two different countries on two different continents. Like, wasn't Molly, like, in New York? And it just so happens that the one alien she saw as a kid has now landed in London somewhere. Make it make sense. There was a funny line where the little alien, like, says to Molly in in this alien language, and it turns out this alien species that Molly helped is, like, hyper-aggressive and violent, and and the language says something along the lines, like, I will kill anybody of your choosing because Molly as a child helped this little cute alien, but these cute aliens are actually very evil. They're little stitch aliens. So I thought that was sort of funny. I thought it was incredibly sad that Riza was supposed to be like, bad bitch, she deals weapons. She looked like she got her dress from TJ Maxx. Oh, yeah. Real tea, man. <laughs> Do you remember when I was like, I what bought... is she wearing? Did she go to Ross? She's a Maxinista? You deal weapons and you're a Maxinista? How did that happen? I'm actually getting fired up about it because you can tell this movie was made by a man based off of the dress that she was wearing. You telling me one of the richest bitches in the world in London is wearing a maxi dress? I think she's like off the coast of some island in some other country that they wanted to film at to make themselves more international. So oh, what, what, was, what was another? Oh, yeah. There's this other character, Agent C., played by Rafe Spall. And Rafe is sort of a character who does things by the books. Uh, well, Agent C, played by Rafe Spall, is a character who does things by the books and, and is definitely jealous of Agent H, Chris Hems- Hemsworth character. <laughs> you cannot say that name. I can't. Why? I, what's wrong? Say it again. I'm Chris, keeping this. I'm not editing it out. Oh, my God. Please, let me just fucking talk through this movie. It's so fucking bad. I want to be over. <laughs> Hemsworth. Hemsworth. So basically, Agency and Agent H throughout the time have these like little like tiff taffs that we're supposed to care about. Like there's actually drama. And at one point, we're supposed to think, I, I guess, that Agent C is the one who's been compromised at MIB. But he's not. We didn't th- believe that for a second. Anyway, oh, and lo and lo and behold, the Les Twins are actually a group of aliens that are just trying to save their planet from the hive. So we accidentally killed innocent aliens. We thought that they were, I guess, I guess we thought that they were evil, but it turns out that they're not. Even though that the way they kill people is like melt, they like melt their body a little bit. Yeah, they melt their body. And that seemed cool. I don't know. Do you have anything else to say? Uh, let me see my notes here, because we got to the point where we were just drinking, and I, it got to the point where even little shit annoyed me, like H and M, which is a clothing company, are the names of the agents. Those just don't roll off the tongue. Like people's names, like J K, those roll off the tongue. But Agent H, like, that doesn't, that's not cool. That's not cool. Agent M is not cool. Agent High T is ridiculous. Everything was ridiculous. Stop making these freaking sequels. Like, 
when have you have you ever watched this is a sidebar have you ever watched the fourth movie in a sequels or a franchise and said like wow that was really good because i've never seen it jurassic park one two and maybe three did it for me but four i didn't need it i didn't need toy story four it wasn't that great i didn't need shrek four wasn't that good why do we keep doing it episode eight of star wars was my favorite which one was that one uh that was the last jedi what was the fourth episode of star wars it was a new hope was it good a new hope well no well like that one a new hope is the first star wars movie and but then they're not like chronologic all right so i see what break you're it saying. down man break all it right. the fuck down so the fourth movie was you're right was terrible P- uh, that movie the phantom menace technically the fourth movie was awful that was but the, that was at the fourth story to be told yeah it was anyway let's not talk star wars it's just like it's why ruin a good exhausting. thing if you got if you if you got away with one you got away with two and you maybe snuck out by with three why make a fourth no that's not really the issue that, that's the issue that can that can be done they here's the thing is that f gary gray could have made this movie amazing they could have dealt with immigration they should have just skipped over this rookie cop narrative and started off where like tessa thompson plays this like very scientific focused character and then chris hemsworth is like this bond sort of impulsive character who just keeps on doing really dumb shit right you could have done that and created a dynamic that worked we've seen it we've seen it in these buddy cop movies over and over it works you could have done that formula now what you deal with instead is you deal with immigration. You deal with the fact that maybe these group, uh, the Les Twins, that their alien species is trying to get to Earth and MIB is like putting a stop to it because they think their planet is has been infected by the hive. They put their stop to it and therefore it ends up destroying a bunch of this alien species. The MIB buddy agents end up going rogue and discovering that MIB is indeed infected by the hive. And therefore, they're the reason that they want to stop this immigration because they're just as villainous as the hive or something. Maybe they're not even infected by the hive. The movie could have been good. Okay, so let me say this to you. The article that we read, one of the articles that we read, one of the great things I remember the article saying is like one Sony producer said, the movie needed a greater reason to be. That's one thing. Going back to sequels, the article also said uh, what a sequel does is continue the narrative through lines of their, you know, forefathers or whatever. Continuing the narrative through lines. I Even with F. Gary Gray's brilliance, I do not think this story could have been told if you didn't continue to continue the narrative through line. And that narrative through line that we were invested in was Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith, both of which are very much alive. So I, when I'm really sit here and unpack this movie, this 23% Rotten Tomatoes at the box office shocking people ass movie, I don't think even with that new fresh story, it would have been successful without a Will Smith, Tommy Lee continued the narrative through line. Because even think about how well MIB 1 to 2 continued that storyline. At the end of MIB 1, Kay was neuralized, all of his memories washed away, and we start MIB 2 with Kay living his best life away as a postmaster or whatever. And then we get him back, and that narrative continues. So 
to to tell a completely new story and put people in black suits and call it MIB, it just didn't work. I, I, I really think that even with the immigration storyline, which, of course, the immigration storyline should definitely be told, if you didn't continue the narrative and the things that MIB did and the and the little things that, like, the quirky, the charm and the things that are said, like, I just don't think it would have been successful either way. Yeah, I guess they could have brought back some villains, maybe from the first, second, and third. Maybe they could have brought back the alien species from the first movie, right? Or uh, they could have they could have done some more stuff to make the the through line a little bit more clear. Like you don't necessarily need Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones to reboot it. Well, no, you look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? Like they kill characters in that. You don't need. But if you know, Will Smith didn't die, you need him in there. If he's if Will Smith didn't die in a movie and he's still alive in real life, you need to put him in there. I, d- I just don't think because Will seeing Will Smith in a movie makes us more compassionate. It tells us like, oh, you took the call on this, then we we're, we must be waiting for something big at the end of this bad boy. So seeing him later say like, yeah, I didn't want to be in it because um, I didn't want to take away from this new upcoming talent. That's a sly ass way of saying like, yo, I read the script. It was a hot fucking mess. Like I wasn't going to do it. That is. Yeah. That's a nice way of saying that shit. Can I ask you one more question? Sure. Do you think it's unethical to neuralize people? And if you're not familiar with MIB at all, neuralize means like when you erase their memories. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. That's For their a, protection? Probably. It's probably ethical to take away their memory. I, I don't know. The thing is, the way they take away your memory is like a very specific way that apparently doesn't hurt people as much, even though you're not really sure because in a scene in the first one, Will Smith is like, he says something along the lines of, if you keep doing that, isn't that going to cause seizures or something? And Tommy Lee Jones is like, oh, I, I don't know. Maybe. Probably not. Probably. I don't You know, you're sort of left to just wonder that. But I am curious, did they neuralize anybody in the fourth one in this movie that we're supposed to be discussing? It might be international. Agent H got neuralized. That was a big d- aha moment. Because she kept asking him, like, how did you save the world again? And he oh, just kept repeating the same line. He, yes. Yes. So he okay. discovered that he had been neuralized. He was neuralized. Okay. One more question since we're drinking and having fun and about to close out the show. If you could neuralize a year of your life, what year would it be? Where you forgot everything that happened that year? I don't want to answer that question. Were you about to say a year that we met? No. Oh, God, no. I like the Oh, year well, we then met. answer it. I'm not enough beers in to think about that. Oh, my gosh. I haven't even finished one beer yet. You're so lovely. I probably would have neuralized, like, sixth grade or something. That's an awkward year. It's like my boobs are growing in. I'm getting bullied at school because I'm, like, a weirdo. I was being homeschooled again in sixth grade. I remember it. I could sit outside all day long. Maybe fourth grade. I would I would neuralize fourth grade year because it was the neuralize fir- fourth grade because it was my first year going to school, my first day ever mm. going to school was fourth grade because I'd been homeschooled. I would neuralize the shit out of that year. Aww. But we did have Battle of the Books, which was really fun, and I discovered like fantasy, and we had I'm pretty sure, like looking back, we had this teacher who gave me books that had like queer characters in them. She was like a big reader. Oh, that's awesome. So don't realize fourth grade. But it was so hard because Mrs. McCready, who was my fourth grade teacher, was so mean. Yeah. 
And Mrs. McCready also is the name of, like, the very mean nanny in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I was like, that name does sound familiar. Yeah, so I had read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe my fourth grade year, and Mrs. McCready was awful. And I was really excited because I got to hate Mrs. McCready in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and it helped me hate her in real life. Yeah, that's right, Mrs. McCready. So, bitch, if you out there listening, just motherfucking know. (laughs) Well, I think she was also great because she read out loud where the red fern grows. Mm. And I did give her a a very hard time, to be fair. Yeah, I bet if we looked back, it was like, oh, I was the problem. Yeah, I would get (laughs) up and, like, use the bathroom without asking permission and then get really belligerent because, like, I get to use the bathroom. That is a human right. Like, I remember something saying, like, oh, I can't use the bathroom. Then I'll, like, pee on you or something. Ooh. Like that. Oh, child. I said something really rude. Yeah. But my, I think I, I think I had met was like I will pee on myself. But I, I think what came out was I will pee on you. You told a teacher you would piss on her. I did not say that like that. I, I was so fr- like I had to use yeah. the bathroom. Why, why should you have a child wait to use the bathroom? That is ridiculous for me. And I'm teaching in person now, and kids can only use the bathroom three times throughout the day. It's awful. So when a kid has to go, I have to take everyone out to go. Yeah. It's because I don't want them to All get in trouble. Four of them. So fucking stupid. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Men in black to peeing on teachers. Ben, why don't you work with the show? In conclusion, skip MIB International. <laughs> go watch Set It Off. Go watch Straight Out of Compton. And go watch Friday. Drink your beer, wear a mask. Thanks, Ben. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Sci-Fi Sci. Please join us next week for episode 31. I'm going to be honest, y'all. I'm a little bit afraid to watch this. Um, I know it's going to be very triggering, but I do want to give this a solid review because it is black sci-fi and horror. The series that we will be watching is Them on Amazon Prime, produced by Lena Waithe and several other creators. So be sure to tune in next week for this very shocking, chilling review of the show Them on Amazon Prime. We will see you next time. Bye, y'all. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.